0: Well good morning, it's great to be with you this morning, I hope you're well, my name's Chris, uh, one of the pastors here, um, why don't we uh, pray together as we look at God's word this morning. Lord Lord Jesus, we we are constantly challenged by who you are and what you do, and this morning uh, my prayer is for myself and for each one of us here that we uh, would get to know you better, and that Lord maybe we would be able to answer the questions that you pose to us. That we would be able to follow you more closely and experience your love and grace and peace Uh, each day we pray. Amen. I don't know about you whether you would describe yourself as an opinionated person. I don't know if that's something you think is a positive character trait or if it 's a, a negative character character trait I hope it 's a positive one because I feel I 'm quite opinionated um, last Thursday I was in the office uh, just actually preparing uh, some stuff for this talk this morning and, and I noticed on the BBC website that the Oscars were being announced the nominations for the Oscars were being nominated i don't know if anyone paid any attention to that this week but um, if you didn't then i 'm going to inform you a little bit about it now. Um, the nominations came out for all sorts of categories, Best Film, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Favourite Dog, uh, Capital City. I'm not sure. There's so many categories now, really, aren't there? Um, but one of the things that's caused a lot of controversy and created a lot of opinion is the fact that Skyfall, the new James Bond film, wasn't nominated for Best Actor for Daniel Craig or Best Film or particularly Best Director for Sam Mendes. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of newspaper columns and radio shows have kind of had their say and their opinion on that. And you might think, well, I couldn't care less about who's nominated for an Oscar or or anything like that. Awards don't interest me. But maybe if I was to say to you, uh, who's the best James Bond, Sean Connery or Daniel Craig? Well, a few more of you might go, well, I've definitely got an opinion on that. But some of you will go, well, films don't really interest me. But I'll say, what about football? Opinions really matter in football. Um, I think football thrives and survives because of people's opinions. Did the ball really cross the line in 1966? There's an opinion that is still, you know, if, if you're from Germany, maybe you would think no. Maybe if you're England, definitely yes. Uh, if you're a Russian linesman who has the final say and authority, it did. Should Roy Hodgson be the England manager? I mean, that, you know, divides opinion. Why do all Manchester United fans live in Surrey? You know, that divides opinion as to why, why that's the case. You know, our opinions about a football team can cost someone their job. Opinions matter, don't they? And we come to Jesus, this, this man who lived 2,000 years ago. He has always, throughout history, stirred up the opinions of others. Both followers of Jesus have opinions about him and those who don't believe in Jesus. People have always had opinions about him because he stirs a reaction in us. I happen to think that being opinionated is a good thing. I think we're made with free will in the image of God, able to think and explore and decide for ourselves. I think that's part of who we are. And I think Jesus in this story that we look at this morning is is pushing into the disciples and to the crowd and saying, so who do you say I am? What's your opinion about me? What's the opinion of others about me? Listen to these well-known personalities from the last 200 years, reflecting on the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. Albert Einstein, well-known scientist, here's what he says. As a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. Mikhail Gorbachev, interesting character, for a Russian leader in the 1980s, 90s. Uh, Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. I'm not saying you need to agree with these opinions, but this is what they, people think about Jesus. they all got something to say. H.G. Wells, a famous historian, um, but not a Christian. This is what he said. I'm a historian, but I am not a believer. However, I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth, is irrevocably the centre of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. John Grisham. Anyone like John Grisham's books? Fans of that, I love them. They're brilliant. Here's what he says. I came under conviction about Jesus when I was in the third grade, and I talked with my mother. I told her, I don't understand him, but I need to talk to you about him. And we talked, and she led me to Jesus. Jesus. The following Sunday, I made a public confession of my faith. In one sense, it was not terribly eventful for an eight-year-old boy, but it was the most important event in my life. And finally, this famous quote from Napoleon. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires, but what founded, is that, did I say that wrong? I did. I'm not a historian. I'm here with Charlemagne, sounds good. Uh, myself, founded empires, but what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ a, founded an empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Jesus is someone who creates opinion. Um, Myself and uh, David who did the videos here actually, we went into Ealing Broadway last week and we were asking people, we were trying to film some um, Vox Pops, kind of people's opinions. One sentence replies on the meaning of life. And and Jesus comes up very quickly when you start asking people questions about the meaning of life. Who is Jesus? Why did he die? Um, You ask people questions about who Jesus is. Some people go, I have no idea. Some friends of mine would say he is the center of the greatest conspiracy theory of all time. That's quite an interesting opinion. But everyone's got an opinion about this person, Jesus. And when we come to Mark's gospel, Mark sets out his stall really clearly. In in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he says this. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here begins the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark sets out his stall straight away. This is the good news about Jesus. He's the Messiah and the Son of God. And Mark takes us through the life of Jesus. We know that Mark, uh, is, is, is P- Peter's story of Jesus is, is what Mark is writing down. And so Mark takes us through. And in Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus forgive the sins of the paralysed man. You know the story, they, they, the friends lower the paralysed man through the roof. Um, the religious teachers are incensed by Jesus at this point because he forgives sins. Who is this man, they say? Who is this person who dares to forgive sins because only God can do it? There's straight away a reaction to who Jesus is. The crowds take a really different view. They focus on the fact that this man who couldn't walk is now picking up his mat and walking off. And they are amazed. Who is this man, they say? In Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm on Lake Galilee with the disciples in the boat who are convinced this is the end of their journey, the end of their life. Jesus calms the storm, something that the Old Testament is really clear that only God can do. Only God has power over nature and creation. And the disciples ask the question then, who is this man? Who are we with? Jesus arrives in Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, his hometown, and they question his identity. He's just the carpenter. This guy's no one special. We know who this man is. We've got a formed opinion about him. He's no one special, just ordinary. Just one of us. And later on in Mark 6, King Herod hears about Jesus because the crowds are sharing their opinions on him. And he hears the same thing that um, the disciples tell Jesus in our passage. Well, we think Jesus is probably John the Baptist or Elijah or a prophet. Jesus' teaching and his actions provoked a wide variety of opinions about who he was. The religious teachers, the crowds, the apparent skeptics in Nazareth, and the disciples all had opinions about his identity. And when we come to Mark chapter 8, we come to the pivotal moment in Mark's gospel. Um, it's on this chapter and on this passage in particular that the whole, cha- whole gospel swings direction. Mark is trying to get us to see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's his intention. He's complaining about that at the start. Um, and he, Jesus has taken the disciples to the furthest northern point um, of, of Israel into Caesarea Philippi. And at this point, he gets them away from the crowds, away from everyone else, and he wants to find out what they think. Who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am, Jesus asks. the, the, uh, The disciples come back to him and go, well they say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets what they're saying is is that you're this great uh, man of God who's coming to speak for God but you're going to come and bring justice and confront evil you're going to kick out the Romans is what they're saying the crowd are hoping you might be the one to set us free from the Romans Jesus moves on from what the crowd think and he looks straight to them who do you say that I am and Peter is the one that responds And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Peter's the one that steps straight out. From what I've seen, from what I've heard, from all that I've experienced, my formed opinion, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. I think it's a really serious moment. I think it's a moment that Peter puts at the centre of his gospel, if you like. As he's told Mark, this is the centre point. This is the key moment for me in my story. And what Peter's doing is telling his story. He's telling his story. I walked with Jesus and he asked me the question, and this is what I think. And this is why. Peter uh, refers to Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one. An anointed person, an anointed person in the Old Testament is a king. David, we know, is anointed by Samuel to be king. But Peter doesn't refer to Jesus as a king. He refers to him as the king, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king to end all kings, the king that has come to put everything right, to bring in the kingdom of God. But Jesus is really clear that it's not the kind of king like David who came to rule and to oversee and for a geographical kingdom to be re-established. Jesus is really clear in verse 31. He says this uh, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He's the king who's come to the cross. Jesus is the king that has come to lay down his life for the sake of the world, and he calls us his disciples to follow him to the cross. Peter puts this point at the center of Mark's gospel. He tells Mark, put this here, make this the moment where people think, who is this man? Because what Peter wants for each one of us is that we would come to the place where we stand before Jesus and he asks us the question, who do you say that I am? After all that you've seen, after all that you heard, have heard, who do you say that I am? So who do we say that Jesus is? Are we like the crowd? Is he just a good teacher or a prophet? Someone who's come to to lead us in a better moral way? Or is he this man of justice, this great revolutionary who's come to turn the world upside down? Or is it just a mystery? He's one of those special people we'll never really know. Or can we like Peter turn to Jesus and reply, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the King who has come to bring in the kingdom Jesus is this unique historical figure and his influence didn't peak with his death for many leaders Alexander the Great whoever it might be their, their, their power and their might peaked just before they died and then afterwards their influence waned people changed allegiance but we know that wasn't the case for Jesus I just want to read you a a paragraph from this great book. We've plugged it a couple of times. Who is this man? I, I can't recommend it highly enough by John Altberg. It's absolutely superb. But let me just read you this. If someone's legacy will outlast their life, it usually becomes apparent when they die. On the day when Alexander the Great or Caesar Augustus or Napoleon or Socrates or Mohammed died, their reputations were immense. When Jesus died, his tiny failed movement appeared clearly at an end. If there were a kind of most likely to posthumously succeed award, given on the day of death to history's most influential people, Jesus would have come in dead last. His life and teaching simply drew people to follow him. He made history by starting in a humble place, in a spirit of love and acceptance, and allowing each person space to respond. He deliberately placed himself on a collision course with Rome, where he would have been crushed like a gnat. And he was crushed. And yet... Jesus' vision of life continues to haunt and challenge humanity. His influence has swept over history like a trail of a comet, bringing his influence, inspiration to influence art, science, government, medicine, education. He's taught human beings about dignity, compassion, forgiveness, and hope. Jesus' influence grows and grows and grows. He's more influential now, 2,000 years after his death, than he ever was when he died. Because Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. But the reason that Jesus' influence is continuing to grow today is because people like Peter, like you, and like me, have responded to the question, you're the Messiah, and have sought to live that out. Christians throughout history have been known for their compassion. It's one of the things that we've seen in the early church. Um, One of the early church leaders, a guy called Tertullian, said this, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. The early church were known because they were the ones that cared. They were the ones that rescued abandoned children left to die of exposure. They were the ones who took in the orphans and the hurting. They were the ones that founded colonies for the lepers who were left outside because they were so infectious. Christians have been the pioneers of nearly every social reform in history, from the abolition of slavery to humane treatment of prisoners. The early church grew like wildfire simply because of normal people, everyday people like you and I, who just lived out the life and teaching of Jesus and who invited others to join that same life. That's all that's happened. That's the reason that Jesus today is more famous than he's ever been and continues to grow around the world. That's why people still talk about Jesus today. That's why people have opinions about who Jesus is today because of people like you and me who simply live out our faith in everyday life. It's not because we have the best communication. It's not because we have the best PR and and maybe we'd feel we have sometimes not the best PR at all. But it's because we just live out that daily life of seeking to share our faith through our words and our deeds that others might find Christ. I think one of the things that Peter was so passionately committed to and that laid his life down for was that men and women across the world would be able to come and meet with the same Jesus he knew. One of the things that has been central to, uh, to the life of Christians throughout the ages is a commitment to preaching and proclaiming the gospel. I don't know, if I talk about sharing your faith, for some of us we, we, we're excited, we're, we're up for that, we do that, we're part of that. But for some of us we just think, oh goodness, I wouldn't know what to say. If you knew my friends or my work colleagues or my family, I don't think you'd know what to say. It's hard sometimes to be honest and upfront and public about sharing our faith. So as I come into the land, I want to give you some practical ideas about how we do what the church has done for 2,000 years and communicate the good news about Jesus Christ. To encourage people to see Jesus for who he is. As Peter said, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And there's a lovely passage. Paul, in writing to the, a letter to the Colossians, says this. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I've just got five things I want to say about what it means to somehow help others to see the life of Christ in us that they might follow him too. The first place I think we have to start is with our hearts. It's asking God for his heart for all those we meet and work with that we might look at people differently. I don't think it's that we would have the right answers or that we would have the right words or that we would become suddenly a completely different person uh, full of passion and zeal but that we would have the right heart. I think we get the heart of God for other people by praying for other people. I think that's how we do it. I don't think there's any other way. We pray for others and God gives us his heart. We get God's heart for others as we are thankful for what God is doing in us. And we give thanks for what God's done for us. We give thanks for the prayers that God has answered. We give thanks for the daily blessings that we see. We give thanks for God's work in the world, for his creation, for his glory. A thankful heart is really infectious. A thankful heart overflows to the life of others. That's why Paul says just devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful, watch out for those who are around you, and be thankful. Thankfulness changes us from the inside out. It gives us a greater heart of compassion for others. So maybe this morning we just need to ask ourselves the question what are we thankful for? What do we need to give thanks to God for this morning? What is God doing in us in, in the, at the moment? What's our story? with God today. What's God doing in our church family? What's God doing in our community? What do we see God doing in the workplace? It might be such a small thing but we're so grateful for every mercy and blessing. So we need to get God's heart for those we're around, those we're with through thankfulness and prayer. The second is this, is that we need to be bold enough to pray for opportunities. The really scary thing is, is when we pray for opportunities, we get opportunities to talk and share and live amongst others and tell them about Jesus. Paul says here, pray that God may open a door for our message. I wonder, uh, one of the things that uh, I felt God say to me just before the new year was that he wanted me to live the whole year one day at a time. And it's simply that each day I get up in the morning, I, I thank God for what he's done, and I say, Jesus, what would you like me to do today? And if he tells me to do something, the deal is I'm supposed to do it. That's the scary bit. Asking the question's okay, but the scary bit is if he says something. So maybe it's, it's tomorrow morning saying to Jesus, what would you like me to do in this meeting that I've got? With, you know, for me, it's what, what would you like me to do in the staff meeting? What would you like me to do uh, in the lunch meeting I've got? How can I be an encouragement to those I meet? Jesus, how can I somehow help people meet with you even if they don't know it? how can I pray? Who who are the people today that you want me to pray for, maybe even pray with? But just today, Jesus, can you open a door for an opportunity to, to show something of your love and grace, to tell something of your story? Would that be possible today, Jesus? Might you use me? I think in this week, if we committed to doing that every day, just that one simple prayer, I think the stories that we'd hear next week would be really exciting be really interesting to see what God would do just with uh, ordinary people like you and me if we're willing to put ourselves there and ask God to use us the third thing is I think as we do this we just constantly put on compassion each day choose to be compassionate Paul says in and um, Colossians 3 put on kindness love compassion and mercy so we just choose to put it on as, as like clothing every morning put on compassion those we meet who are in need of compassion who are in need of our time who, who seem like an interruption we've just chosen this week to put on compassion and we'll do what we can to serve to love to clothe to help looking particularly for those on the edge on the outside who maybe feel like there's no one for them and we could be the people who are there cheer who cheer them on who support them who love them who are just as Mother Teresa said the hands and feet of Jesus that's number three. Number four is to be ready to speak, to talk about our faith. Um, I'm sure at different moments some of us have found ourselves put on the spot about what we believe. One of my earliest memories of being a Christian is I, was sat in, I, was, I became a Christian when I was 18 at the start of my upper sixth. Um, it's quite an interesting time to become a Christian uh, really at school. And, and, and I was sat in a geography lesson, I remember this really well. And one of my best friends, the teacher left the room, one of my best friends said to me, Uh, really quite loudly so Chris is it true that you've become a Christian and now you go to church so the kind of pens are put down everyone's head lifts up and eyes are on me that's a moment with 15 to 20 of my friends who I've grown up with who know me all too well what do I do and what I did was go yeah it's true actually and from what I remember, it's a long time ago, a conversation ensued around the classroom, one or two asking questions about faith. I didn't, I didn't probably know anything. Knowing me, I probably said something completely outrageous, that if I knew today, I'd be horrified. But I just said, yeah, do you know, that's me. That's what I do. Other friends found it really puzzling. I remember sitting in the pub at university, and suddenly they find out you're a Christian, and the questions start coming. How can you believe if... Or maybe it's those people we've been praying for for so long and we're longing that they might find faith. And one day, there's just an opportunity to share something of God's love. Do you know, I think in those moments, I think it's just simply that we respond with compassion and kindness. Sometimes we're so worried about the exact thing that we say. Jesus can take any word that we offer. If it's offered in love and grace, I think it has immense power. And I think all of us can do that. I don't think we have to be able to debate, you know, one-to-one with Richard Dawkins or be able to answer the kind of hardest critic. I think we just offer an answer with love and grace. And if people choose to accept it, they choose to. I've been in conversation with two old school friends who are both kind of confessed atheists. Well, this is the joy of Facebook. And I asked them the question before I did my first talk at Alpha last term. I want to speak to a bunch of people who are coming who have questions about faith I want to talk about does God exist what do you think that provoked quite a response from two people uh old friends of mine in fact one of them was in that geography class I think at the time and they've not been convinced they disagree with pretty much every argument I've put back to them but I just want to do it with love and grace I want to provoke the response by asking questions Jesus did that a lot and I think it's something we can do too and finally, we might have people in our lives who are asking those questions. We might have people we know who are, who are wanting to find out more about Jesus. So how do we respond to them? Well, I think sometimes I just feel I haven't got the words to say. I, I don't really have the, the kind of depth of intellect necessarily to kind of argue people into the kingdom. I don't think we can argue people into the kingdom. I think God is the one that brings people in. But one of the things I found over the years is that people have come to Alpha and found that hugely helpful. They find just the whole journeying with others who are also asking questions, a place where they can be real and honest. And it might seem like a shameless plug, but I believe in Alpha because I'm a Christian because of it. And I've seen lives this year. People who've come, sceptics, don't believe, but asking questions, wanting to find out, is this man really who you say he is? Is Jesus really the Messiah? And we start Alpha next week, a week on Wednesday. And if you've got friends or if you're in that place of asking questions, why not sign up? Why not invite a colleague? Why not invite a family member? Why not invite someone down your street? Just invite them to the first night. Come and hear a talk about does God exist. Come and ask every difficult question you've ever had. Come and really pick at this thing and see if it's really true. Because I think that people will go from saying, Jesus, well, he's a mystery. We're never going to know him. Jesus, he's just a prophet. He's one of those people who teaches well. Jesus, well, maybe he is the centerpiece of the greatest contract the world has ever seen. Or maybe, maybe, and I think probably, when people find Jesus, they can say like Peter did, you're the Christ, son of the living God. So us today, who do we say Jesus is? Have we answered the question that Jesus posed to the disciples And are we with the crowds or are we with Peter? Maybe today we want to say with Peter, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And how can we share our faith? How can we talk about Jesus? How can we demonstrate the story of God in our own lives? Maybe it's that we just need more of God's heart. Maybe it's that we need more courage. Maybe it's that we need God to open up an opportunity to share something of the story of Jesus. I encourage us to do that prayer each day. Lord, maybe today could I share something of your story of good news about Jesus with others? Why don't we pray together? Let's stand.